Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the episode. It's a blessing to, uh, to see God working in hearts and uh, bringing kids to understanding of what sin is. And uh, just as I say that, can I remind you um, that, that children do benefit. We give them opportunities to learn in a and according to their age group, but much of what we try to do on Sunday nights with, with the kids, parents, and uh, I, say this, I, I say this is important, much of what we try to do is help you have an opportunity to, to tr- train them to sit in an environment like this. And I realize there's going to be squiggles and you know, moves and so forth. I have five kids, right? And there's sometimes I'm up here and I know they're not being good, right? And... Uh, if I can do it, you can do it. But I think that every parent here ought to make it a point to exemplify to their children, we're going to be in church every time the doors are open. I know, I know I'm going to I'm, I'm meddle a little bit there, but friends, we're not in a game. This is not a convenience game. Christianity has been a convenience thing for Americans far too long, but it is time to be serious about the house of God before we lose it. And there is going to come a day where coming to a place like this is going to cost you something. And we might not meet in a place like this. And you say, ah, pastor, never in America. Friends, it is on its way. And I urge you to be serious. Put aside your convenience. Put aside the excuses. Make the house of God an important thing. And I I encourage you also, I, I commend you for being here this morning, but I encourage you to reach out to others. We are to consider one another and to provoke unto love and good works. We need to be reaching out and encouraging one another to be in the body, be a part, to be engaged. This is where strength comes. You say, well, why did that person fall off? Maybe they needed somebody to come alongside and say, hey, how are you doing? Maybe they, they, they needed something that was given in the assembly. They didn't hear, and they've missed it, but they're just down in their heart. They're depressed about it. Oh, I just encourage you. We need to be so very serious about what we're doing here today. This is not a laughing matter in some places in the world. It's, it's really come on me this week. I was sitting down in my office studying, and I looked at my Bible and thought, you know what, this is illegal in some places in the world. And what will we do when it's illegal? What will we do? What will you do? So I am, I am thankful. I told the guys ahead of time out in the lobby, I, I was thankful. I said, uh, we still have freedom. Praise God. And we'll always be free in Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And if you have the Spirit of the Lord inside of you, you can be inside of a prison cell and still be free. And praise God for that. And so we're going to learn about, as God so happens to have us, in a uh, particular passage this morning, uh, I'm often amazed at his, at his timing, but I, I look at, Acts chapter 16 and verse number 16, and I want us to pick up in the, the city of Philippi, and let's learn together. And so Acts 16, verse number 16, and it came to pass, 
as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, said to the spirit, notice little s, this is a demonic spirit. I command thee, and say the next words with me, in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains were gone, was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates saying, these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs that, which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner um, prison and made their feet fast in stocks. Now, I just want you to notice in the last several verses there, there's a whole lot of uh, very aggressive action. This isn't there. They're uh, being very polite. Come along with us. Put your hands behind your back. There's a lot of thrust, rent off. There's a lot of movement there. And at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And we should say amen. God is, God is amazing in the strength that he gives in that type of hour. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, not a small earthquake, a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in. There's another, there's another fast action. He sprang in and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a great question. And if you aren't certain about that answer today, we need to get that settled today. What must I do to be saved? Let's read on. And they said, read it with me, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. So it's not just for you, it's for everyone, including uh, your household. Verse 32, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he sat meat before them and, what? Rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrate sent sergeants saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned, 
being Romans, and have thrust us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, nay, truly. But let them come themselves and fetch us out. Perhaps Paul was looking for another opportunity for the gospel. I don't know. Uh, anyway, that's interesting. We'll comment on that a little bit later. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and besought them, they begged them, and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. Remember, that's headquarters. And when they had seen the brethren, read those words with me, they comforted them and departed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word, this narrative you have given to us. We, uh, we honor it as the inspired word of God. Lord, we want it to speak into our hearts. We want it to adjust our thinking about the, the path we're walking. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, this morning to have an eternal perspective renewed. God, we need your help. I cannot, I cannot communicate your word in an adequate way uh, for these, your people. I need your help this morning. And Lord, we need to see things that we've been blind to. Oh God, would you meet with us this morning? I pray that you'd meet with the children this morning. I pray that you would show them as well that they are conquerors through Jesus Christ. That you be with Brother Joe as he communicates the lesson there. Then all, Lord, as we gather back together tonight, would you continue to communicate your word to us? Help us, Lord, we pray. We need revival in our hearts. And Lord, we certainly do need a great awakening in our country. Use us to be a part of that in this city and in areas you place us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, and you may be seated. Last week, we came to Philippi. Uh, God led Paul and Silas and Timothy and, uh, and Luke as well. He's joined the journey now from Troas. Uh, he led them up to Philippi. He used a night vision. He used a, the vision of the Macedonian man calling uh, for them to come over and help us, to bring the gospel to them. We understood that that was when the gospel now enters into Europe. We are benefactors of that, but the gospel is now uh, going into the area of Europe, and it's a wonderful thing what God is doing. He has brought the gospel all the way from Jerusalem. He's brought it up to Antioch of, Pisidi uh, Antioch of Syria, where he has giving, uh, made them kind of the gateway into the Gentile part of the world. He's brought it to Cyprus. He's brought it up into Asia Minor, and he's bringing it now over to Macedonia into Europe, and the gospel continues forward. And what Jesus promised to us in Matthew 16, verse 18, upon this rock, his deity, his person, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Almost every chapter uh, contains stories of the gates of hell, of the threat of death, of Satan's opposition coming up against the church. And over and over we see Jesus triumphing and showing himself strong in the church going forward. Even there in Lystra, where, where Timothy was born and raised and came to know Jesus Christ. Even there in Lystra, um, Paul was stoned to death in the streets. And yet the next time he comes through on this second missionary journey, we find Timothy is raised up as a disciple, ready to accompany the Apostle Paul and take the gospel along with him into Europe. What an amazing thing that the Lord is doing. And I ask you this question this morning. When does Christianity thrive? When does Christianity thrive? And I know as, 
as people sitting in an American church here in air conditioning, we walked into our classroom this morning, it was 77 degrees, and it's a minor disturbance when we experience something like that as Americans over in India or over in some of these places, they don't have air conditioning, and it doesn't bother them. But sitting here in an American church, we know the right answer, but we understand the fact of the matter is The people of God have never flourished outside of oppressive, persecuting times. And I want us to remember what God told the people of Israel as he brought them into blessing. Finally, after the wilderness wanderings, he brought them into blessing. And he charges Moses to speak some final words to them in the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he comes to the fathers and he says, Hey, fathers, I want you everywhere you go when you rise up. When you lay down, when you go in the way, when you're in your car, when you're on the, on the way to work, everywhere you go, I want you to be communicating the word to your children so they don't forget. That's still a command that is applicable to us today. It's not the church's job to do all the teaching. Dads, it's your jobs to communicate the word. You say, my kids are grown and gone. It's your jobs to hold forth the word of truth in your family, to be a, to be a standard bearer for the word of God, to hold the fort and to hold it up high in your family and to continue to live by example. But as you go further on in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 12, he, God says through Moses, he says, I know you've come into the promised land. You have, you have gardens that you didn't plant. You have, you have lands that you didn't prepare. You have houses. I've blessed you in an abundant way. You have all this blessing. And I want you to remember this. He says in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 12, Then beware... Lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of the world of paganism, into this blessed promised land from the house of bondage. I want you to remember it. I want you to remember it. Here's the problem. Israel, Israel in just a short amount of times, they started enjoying the ease that God had blessed them with. He had started enjoying the things that God had given, all the tangible things, and actually began to look to the, to the different nations that they allowed to stay in the land, and they, they began to adopt their thinking, adopt their gods, and adopt their way of living, and adopt their, their ways of worship, and their, their ways of living, their ways of, of dressing, all those different things. God, they began to adopt all these things, and their hearts were turned away from God. They forgot that God had won a great victory in Egypt in bringing them out of bondage. Even the point is they were going through the, the wilderness wanderings. They'd even say sometimes, we wish we were back in Egypt. Yeah, I wish I could be beat again by a taskmaster. I wish I could watch my, my fellow uh, brothers and, and sisters get beat up as they didn't work hard enough. You know, just the irony of their statements as they were, as they were walking into the blessing that God was going to give them. They're, they're saved. They're on their way to, to extreme blessing. And yet, yet they, they, they murmur and they complain it's an amazing thing. And God's saying here, beware, beware. You know, God still says today, beware. We think we're so high and mighty. You know that God doesn't need another missions dollar from America in order to get the gospel published in the world. I'm grateful for the missions dollars that come out of America. Most of the missions dollars do come out of America. But God, God does not need the missions dollars out of America in order to publish the, the gospel into the world. And that's not a statement, you know, you know, just give up, throw up, don't, you know, don't, you know, just stop contributing. No, that's, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm saying we should not think all high and mighty about ourselves like we're something that God's never going to knock down to our level, you know, knock down to a, a level and, and humble us. 
And I think we've already seen this week a, a, a great humility that has come to the United States. Unless you think that we can divorce what is going on in our culture from what God says in his scripture, they're intertwined. We have been humiliated this week as a nation. And don't think for a minute that this is not a part of God's chastening of our nation. Hello. We cannot look at this and be like, you know what? We're just going to go on like we always go on. Friends, it is time to wake up to what is going on in the world. It is time to awake to righteousness and sin not for some have not the knowledge of God. It is time to be aware that we have walked in the blessing of God. We have taken these and made them our idols. And we think, oh, we, we go to church, we carry our Bibles, we do the right thing, we say the right thing. Listen, enough with the, the play, enough with the lip service. We must get back to it. And you know what God often uses to get back to it? He uses persecution to stir the church. He uses opposition to stir the church. And here's what we're going to see. As, as God was advancing his church, he didn't use good times in the book of Acts right here in this chapter to advance the church. It happened through very negative times. It happened when the persecution was hot. It happened when the, the stones were flying, when the, when the shackles were coming out. It happened in those moments. My son Jack was lo uh, looking in a, a book from Open Door uh, USA. It's the world watch list of the different persecuted places around the world. Some of it, as they, they combine a lot of different, uh, uh, they, put, uh, they have a broader, uh, uh, broader idea of what Christianity would, would look like. And so sometimes some of those numbers might be skewed a, a little bit. But it does give us the sense of it. And he, he made to me this, this comment. He says, Dad, it seems like the countries with the most persecution have the most Christians. Why is the church flourishing in Iran? Why? Why is the underground church thriving in China? It's not convenient for them. Everywhere they go. They're being watched by the cameras all over China. They're being watched by the cameras everywhere they go. They're being watched and they're being and their social, their social score. It is it's making an, it's making an impact on their social score. Oh, you went to church. Well, you, you you're kind of demoted in your social score because they're watched everywhere they go. Churches have cameras in the lobby put there by the government watching who comes in and who goes out. It's not a matter of convenience for them. They are sacrificing their lives. They're sacrificing their convenience for, them, um, for this. It's amazing to me that we have gotten our minds so much so here in America that we're going to pleasure ride through our Christianity and God's, gonna, God's just going to let it go as we turn to the idols of the world and, to, and allow uh, Christianity to be a convenience thing. God's not going to just let this go. Persecution is coming, friends. Mark it down. Persecution is coming. And I know this isn't a glorious you say. I came to, uh, to church to be encouraged today. Friends, we've been praying for revival in America. I believe with all of my heart the revival that is coming in America is coming on the heels and coming in tow with persecution for America. In fact, for Christianity, probably the best days of America are yet ahead. Because every time we come through the book of Acts, what, what happens? They're persecuted and the church just thrives. But I'm saying this to you this morning as a, as a way of warning and as a way of, of encouraging or maybe fortifying your hearts. Listen, friends, let's not get thrown off by, 
by what's coming. Let's not be complaining. Let's not be, it's not that we wish for persecution. Paul didn't, you know, come into town in Philippi. Hey, put me in prison. He didn't say that. He just followed the Lord. And so I need to get to the, the meat of this, but I want us to understand this is kind of the, 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 the context of this passage is the church is to be going forward. Paul is, is doing his thing. He's doing the right thing. And he's in the midst of the city that was gripped by Roman nationalism. It was right to worship Caesar. It was okay if you had your own religion, but don't force it on anyone else. Don't go out witnessing. Don't knock on a door. Don't share it at work. Don't share it anywhere. It was, a very, uh, it was very much a Roman nationalistic city. It was an outpost of Rome and a military outpost. So everything that, that was in the spirit of the of Rome itself was in the spirit of Philippi. It was just that type of city. It was not a place that was, was going to be very receptive to the gospel on a large scale. So here we go. As we look at this, Paul and his teammates are going to face, face severe and even unlawful persecution as they preach the gospel. And as they lived out their lives, friends, as they lived out their Christian lives, as they naturally did the things that they were called to do as followers of Jesus Christ, they came into contradiction with the culture. Let's banish from our minds that, that the culture is going to accept us. You were not called to be accepted by the culture. We're called to love them, but we are not called to be accepted by this culture. As we consider this, this narrative, it's a historical narrative that God intended for you and me to hear and to read. This narrative is a vivid reminder of things that we need to be holding on to today. And here's what I want to do. I want to track through this. I want, to, I want to mark the path of the Apostle Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy. And I want to gain some understanding from it. Notice they were faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how in verse number 16, and it came to pass as we went to prayer. Let's read that all together. And it came to pass as we went to prayer. As we went to prayer. I want you to notice that they were faithful to assemble in the place of prayer. You say, where do you get that? They just went to pray. It was just like them going over to someone's house. No, the word legitimately means a place of prayer. That's the idea the Holy Spirit intended for us to get. It is the idea of a place of prayer, a place that is set apart for prayer. Now, where do we understand they were praying at that time? Lydia and the other ladies were down by the riverside last, uh, last week. They didn't have a synagogue. They didn't have a, a place of worship. She did not even worship in her house. Not to say that was wrong, but I'm just drawing the distinction here. They had a place. It was by the river, and they were going there to meet with other believers, and there's a simple application here, friends, and something that's just a burden on my heart, and I can't escape it. But the fact of the matter is we have, and I've already said it, and forgive me for reiterating it, but maybe, maybe we need to really walk away with, uh, with this. But we have gotten into our mindset, even, even through this time of, of COVID, that, that church is something that we can just drop in on via live stream. Or we can just kind of touch, or we, if it's convenient for us, we'll jump in. I hear a lot of people saying, I'll just catch it on the live stream. I'll catch it afterwards. Church is not a spectator sport. We need to be together. Don't run out the door this morning. Look for someone to minister to. Look for someone to encourage. Look for someone to, uh, to pray with. This is not a spectator thing. They went to the place of prayer. And is it going to take us losing the freedom to gather in this place 
that we really value it, that we really stop making excuses about gathering in this place. Now, God understands sickness. He knows our frame. There are work situations. There are all those types of things. But we know when we've made a choice not to be in the house of God. We know. And it burdens my heart greatly. Sometimes I'll, I'll talk to people, and, and, and it's like, it, it's, it's no issue for someone to say, hey, I have something else going on. I have a question for you. If at some point I, I just said, you know what, hey, we're going to cancel the Wednesday night service, we're going to cancel the Sunday night service, would it bother you? Would there be enough of an uprising in the church to say, Pastor, we're not doing that? You can go pastor some other church, but not here. But if you do not attend the gatherings of the church, what are you actually saying? You want your pastor here, you want him ready, locked and loaded with a message, but what about you? And I speak to everyone that's joined us by live stream, I speak to everyone, and I, I come burdened with this message. I've thought about praying about, uh, and prayed about this. I'm not trying to scourge, but I am trying to, to warn and to exhort. We've gotten really casual about this matter. It is time for the church to gather back together. The world is saying, we don't want the church. It's time for the church to gather back together. It's time for the church to be together. And the world will constantly be throwing fear, uh, fear tactics at us. We need to be careful. We need to be safe. But listen, there is a matter of the church gathering together. God said we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. They gathered in the place of prayer for the practice of prayer. Don't negate the idea of the church coming together on Wednesday night and praying together. If you have to come in for or your work clothes, come in with your work clothes. Say, Pastor, you just don't understand. You don't understand. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired when I get done. I, I'm, so, I'm so worn out. I, we, we have physical things. But you know what? Your pastor also lived a life working. I think part of what God taught me ahead of be, um, becoming a pastor, your pastor worked in construction. And you know what? Every Wednesday night, every Sunday night, every time the doors were open, I was still in the house of the Lord. We made it a priority. My dad made it a priority. We need to make this a priority. They were being faithful to the house of the Lord. They were gathering with other believers, and there was great encouragement as that came along. So I exhort the Grace Baptist Church, the members of Grace Baptist Church, let's not make this a convenience matter. Let's gather in the place of prayer. Let's gather in this place that God has given us, praise his name, with air conditioning, with pews, and with classes, and with a lot of conveniences and nice things. Let's praise God for this, but let's gather in this place that God has given to us and not let anything get in the way of that. Let's order our lives around the things of God, not around the things of this, of this world. So they gathered in the place. They were faithful to assemble. I don't think that's a stretch at all, friends. I looked at that, and here they are as leaders in the church. They're faithful to assemble, faithful to assemble. And they were teaching the people there in Philippi to do the same. Could I encourage you from my heart? I preach this to you because I love you. I need you to be serious about the house of God. And more than I need you to be serious about the house of God, Jesus, who died for us and gave himself for this assembly, needs us to be serious about the house of God. Did you notice in verse number 16 that as they were doing the will of God, as they were faithful to assemble, did you notice what happens along the way? A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. They were faithful as ambassadors. As they were on their way to gather with the believers, there's some problems that are uprising. You know, there's some, there's some things along the way. The spirit of divination um, 
is really interesting. It, it's, it, it is the idea of a Pythonic spirit. Uh, it was so named because of the legendary serpent slain by uh, Apollo, who supposedly was the god of prophecy. The, the word literally is Python. That, that's the Greek word is, is that. And so it, it was a divination, was a, it was a pagan form of foretelling, declaring the secrets of the, the future. It was all satanic through signs and omens and supernatural powers. And so here's this slave girl, which, by the way, this, this word damsel is a very derogatory term. Uh, the world has always been derogatory uh, towards women in general. Uh, Jesus Christ and the Bible is what has always elevated <laughs> the creation of women. And all the women should say amen right there. And it's amazing here. This is a very condescending. This is how she was known in that, in that way. She was a slave girl. Satan had exploited this young woman. And, they, and that she was being used, her powers, her demonic powers were being used to bring money to her owners. So she was literally enslaved. And you think about that, there are, there are women enslaved today. There are, there's sex trafficking that goes on. There is so much wickedness that's going on in our world today. And Satan still enslaves women in that. And they even, he even enslaves them in ideologies and thought processes and so on. And so as we think about this, uh, this, this young woman, this, this slave girl was being exploited. Think about her plight. Think about the pain of day after day being possessed by a devil and being used and abused for the purposes of other people and for the gain of other people. And this is who Paul happened upon by providence, by God's will. And I think about this, the exploiting. How many of you watched Brother Michael Garamy's update this past week that it sent out? Did you notice what he said? The Quran says in, in verse 30, or chapter 33 and verse 50 that slave girls whom Allah hath given as boot, um, booty is the idea that right now over in Afghanistan they are selling 12 and older into slavery, into sex trafficking. They're taking uh, uh, young married women, killing their husbands, selling them off. Satan always exploits women. It's a wicked, wicked thing. And the, the, you, can tell if a, you can tell a religion has Satan written all over it, especially by how they even deal with women. And here we have a woman that's being exploited by Satan. Here's what's amazing. Satan is so crafty. He uses this young woman, and he, he actually gets her to say the truth. These are servants of the Most High God that teach us the way of salvation. Now think about that. These are servants of the Most High God. And she follows along. She's crying this. She's shouting this day after day after day. And here's what's amazing about this. Her testimony of Paul and Silas and the rest is a walking contradiction to the truth. Her life has been untouched by Jesus Christ. She is in shackles, she's bound, she is, she is torn apart. Her, her life is ruined by de demonic uh, de uh, oppression and possession, and yet she is saying the truth. Paul knew better than to accept this testimony from demons. The Bible says Paul being grieved, he was vexed, he was burdened, and he was rightly burdened, even as we look at the the way that Satan influences people's lives through drugs and through immorality and all these different things, it should bring a burden upon us. God forgive us for the times that we criticize the world for being sinful. That's what they are. Sinners are going to act like sinners. Paul is grieved in the spirit, not because she could do anything about it. 
His next step is to bring Jesus into the picture. But I want us to notice how Satan will use any means possible to discredit the truth, even if it means speaking the truth itself through an un- a life that is untouched by the truth. Now consider that. Satan doesn't mind if you go around touting the truth if your life doesn't reveal it, if your life doesn't match up. He doesn't mind using musics in the world that have Christian lyrics to them if he makes it sound just like the world and what they're listening to. He doesn't mind it at all. Satan discredits the truth by using his vessels, his vehicles, to say truthful things. That's exactly what burdened Paul's heart. And so what does he do? Well, he sees the heart of the matter. He gets right to the heart of the matter, and he says, In the name of Jesus, I command thee to come out of her. Paul was given this power by by God. Uh, He's been led of the Spirit. Paul, being grieved by the exploit of Satan, was not powerless. Praise his name. We're not powerless today against what is going on in our world. We still bear the name of Jesus. We are conquerors through him who loved us so. Yes, we are. McDonald said it this way, if our lives are only lived on the natural level, how are we any different from non-Christians? God wills, God's will is that our lives should be supernatural, that the life of Jesus Christ should flow out through us. When this takes place, impossibilities melt, closed doors will open, the power will surge, then we will be supercharged with the Holy Spirit, and when people get near us, they will feel the sparks of the Spirit. Paul was not powerless. He had the indwelling Holy Spirit who you have and who, by God's power, we can see God change lives in this world. We aren't the freeing agents. It is Jesus Christ. It is him that brings freedom. Oh, how this happens in John 8.36 when John writes down under inspiration, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. That was the freedom that Paul brought into this situation through Jesus Christ. And boy, can you imagine being up against that situation? Can you imagine being in a situation where you're staring face to face with someone that is possessed by a demon and looking at them and saying, I command thee to come out in the, in, in the name of Jesus Christ. Name of Jesus Christ, the, the Savior of all the world, the Messiah. I command you to come out. And just think about that moment. Paul believed everything he said. You know, the Holy Spirit was there to, to do exactly the work of, of God in that situation. I thank God for this testimony of a faithful ambassador like Paul. And you know what? We need to be faithful ambassadors empowered by the Holy Spirit, submitted to the Holy Spirit. We go out this afternoon. We need to be faithful ambassadors to the Lord. You don't have the power against the world. You don't have the wit, the clever, the smarts to be able to argue someone into heaven. Jesus Christ is the one who changes the life. We go out to bear that message. What are we going to do? Put on doors on this afternoon. You matter to Jesus, do they? They don't matter to this world. Satan chews them up and spits them out. That's what he does. He's a ruthless taskmaster. Oh, how we ought to hate him. We have the same opportunity to bring freedom like Paul did to this young lady. We have that opportunity to bring it to this community every day of our life, together as a church family, even this afternoon, as we go up to Beachwood, Ohio, as we go over into Dayton, Ohio, as we go to different places, as we send the Bibles down to Grenada. Oh, we have this opportunity to bring the life-giving, freeing message of Jesus Christ. We can be that ambassador's church. Let's be serious about this matter. So they followed Jesus Christ. They were faithful to him. What leads next? 
they're going to be persecuted. I mean, that's just the narrative over and over and over again in the, in the book of Acts. And so it's contra-American thinking, but the Bible is often, how many of you would agree with this, the Bible's often contra our thinking. It doesn't go along with our logic. That's why God told us to trust in him with all of our heart and not to lean to our own understanding. We get in big trouble when we do that. So everything about our lives is, if we're following Scripture, is going to be contrary to the common culture. And it's not that we're going out and being nasty, and that's the reason we're contrary to them. If we live our lives for Jesus Christ, we will walk contrary to culture. What does the Bible say? 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly, that make the choice to live godly in Christ Jesus, say with me, church, if you know it, shall suffer persecution. Okay, so they're just living. We're going to prayer today. Hey, hey, Luke, let's go. Silas, let's go. Hey, Timothy, we're going to go over to the river and we're going to pray. It's going to be so much of a blessing to meet with these new believers down there and fellowship together and see how they're doing. We're going to go over to the... And then they, they come up against just an ordinary circumstance. Satan has grip over someone's life all over our city and all over the city of Philippi. Ordinary circumstance, they just do God's will in that moment. They're ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and it leads them right into persecution. In verse 19, we see how it, uh, it plays out. They were caught. They were not treated well. They didn't say, oh, you know what? We, we're governed by this certain law. We have to treat you humanely. No, no, no. There was none of that. Not at all. In fact, Paul relates his experience in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 5. He says, for when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest Oh, when can it just go back to normal? I want the 1980s again. By the way, the 1980s were sinful too. 1960s, anyone? When can we have normal again? He says, we had no, our flesh, our bodies had no rest. We were worn out, but we were troubled on every side with outward fightings, and then notice, within were fears Oh, but this is the great apostle Paul. He didn't fear anything. He just charged ahead for God. No, no. He says, within were fears. Within were fears. You don't need to raise your hand to this, but anyone, anyone feeling a little fear? Anyone wondering? You're right with the apostle Paul. You need to follow him. The rest, he, he was engaged in the battle. Without were fightings, within was fear. And so he says, this is our experience in Macedonia. Notice what happened. It was a pretty unreasonable accusation. If you think about the good of this, this young lady, uh, she was freed from a possessing demon. We might have a little bit of a casual thought process about that, but I can tell you two experiences in my life where I was on foreign soil and demonic activity was was vividly real remember being in honduras at the age of 17 and the missionary i was with he says if we're, we're going into this certain area he says you better make sure you're prayed up i know as an age of uh, 17 he was he, he was saying because the demonic the demonic reality there if you're not real for christ you're gonna you're they're gonna spot you whoa but that that's that's terrifying and uh, I, I did some soul searching, Brother Tom, before I uh, went into that situation. And uh, I can also remember in Idi India coming back through, coming into 
coming into the air, airport and driving through a certain section of town, the, the music was blaring in town. I've never experienced anything like it. It was on loudspeakers in town, and it was the most eerie, evil sense that I've ever felt. And literally, I, I, I felt the, the, the pressure. I, I had never experienced anything like that before, but I know this. Immediately, I started quoting Psalm 23 to myself and praying that back to God and thinking, this, something's, something's, something's not right here. Friends, Satan is real. We can't just throw that off. And Satan is real in the states here. And I believe we've even seen it here in this city. I believe I, I, I've personally, I'm not going to get into the, into the story on this morning. I believe I've personally experienced the work of Satan similar to this, this young lady in this city. We, 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 in our American mind, oh, that doesn't happen here. Yes, it does. Satan is alive and well in America, just like he's alive and well in India or any other place in the world he's alive and well. And so here it is, we have this, them coming up against this evil spirit. She's been freed. Praise God. Who wouldn't be happy about that? By the way, who isn't happy about someone coming to faith in, uh, in Jesus Christ? You think, I got saved and I went and told all my coworkers, and they weren't so happy about it. This whole city is like, and especially these owners, like, what in the world happened? She doesn't go with us anymore. They don't go to the parties anymore. They don't go where we go. They don't tell the same jokes anymore. And they weren't happy about this to the point that they bring a very unreasonable accusation. They caught, they seized Paul and Silas. They hauled them away is the idea of Drew. They hauled them away, maybe put them on, up over their shoulders. They hauled them away. They bring them to the, on the center of the city to the, the magistrates, and there's a twofold accusation that goes out. They exceedingly trouble us. They didn't trouble us just a little bit. They exceedingly trouble us. They vex us. They're the problem. Watch for that language. Watch for that language. Already on colleges' campuses here in America, there are college, uh, uh, there are college professors that are indoctrinating the next generation that's saying things like Christianity is the cancer to America. Okay, it's out there. It is, it's, it's, it's documented stuff that is out there. So understand, they, they exceedingly trouble us. By the way, don't you remember a king as well that said that to Eli, uh, Elijah or Elisha? Do you remember uh, Ahab saying that? There's a man who troubles Israel. That's always what the world does. That's always what Satan does. They're the problem. So here's what's going on. You're the problem. You freed this woman, which seems like that would be a good thing, but here's, you're the problem. They're calling good evil and evil good. The next accusation is your teaching, customs, behavior, beliefs. Now notice, and that is contrary to Roman law. They were allowed in the city to have their own religion, but they could not publish it. By the way, that's another, that's another step we'll, we'll probably see here in America. It's okay for you to have your own beliefs, but don't publish it. Don't bring it to a door. Don't, don't bring it out in the streets. Don't bring it up at work. We already see that. I was in an office this week someone uh, I, with, a, with a city official, and they closed the door in order, in order to have a conversation. Why do you have to unclose the door to speak about biblical things? Hello? So here's what's going on. You're not allowed to talk about this. You can talk about anything. Talk about sports. Talk about, talk about the weather. Talk about uh, what's going on? Don't talk about politics. Do talk about everything else around. But don't talk about God and Jesus and what the Bible says. 
So that's what's going on here. So that was the accusation against them. They're teaching things, they're teaching customs, they're teaching behavior against, against uh, the law of the, of the Romans. So, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm encouraging to, to know and to be forewarned that there will come, there will absolutely come time where the accusations against Christians are unreasonable. Things like they opened up the church and, and they don't care about anyone's health. Come on, friends. They don't care. I had to say to an official here in this state, no one loves these people more than Jesus Christ and me. You do not love these people more than me. And the audacity of the world to say, you, you need to follow the Bible in loving your people. You don't even understand that. So I'm just, I'm, I'm saying the unreasonable accusations, but then notice what that led to, an unlawful incarceration. Look at um, verse number 22. They rent off their clothes. They, they beat them. The idea of the beating is they beat with rods. So it was, it was not actually the most aggressive beating that they could have received in, uh, under, Roman, under the Roman military. It was a beating with rods, but it was many stripes and it hurt. Okay, I mean, they, this was, this, they were bloodied by this, and, and uh, we see that in, the, in later verses. So they commit them to, the, uh, they commit, the magistrates say, um, put them in prison. We don't know what to do with these guys. Put them in prison and make sure that you keep them. And so after they've been beat with no public hearing, which was against Roman law, they were beat and they were put in maximum security. They were put in stocks. Um, it says their feet. Uh, so uh, the picture I'm showing here uh, is one of the stocks from um, back, but we understand that it was just the feet. So however they, they were, whether it's feet and hands, I, I, I'm going to take what the Bible says. It was their feet. And they, they were put in stocks. They were restrained within the inner prison. And the keeper did that because he didn't want these guys getting loose because he's been charged by them. Hey, don't let them go. Now, it's interesting to me that uh, Paul and Silas had not killed anybody, not raped anybody, not stolen anything yet they're treated like the worst criminals, right? It's amazing how much Christianity and biblical Christianity is a threat to Satan in this world. So we see in our country uh, things that will come down the pike that will be against the laws, the current laws of our land, and there will be persecution that we will face that is unlawful according to the current laws. But I want you to notice how Paul and Silas went along here. There was no mention, hold up, we're Romans. Now, I, I thank God for the freedoms. I, I really do. And everything inside me, from the flesh standpoint, I want those freedoms, and I want that for my children. But I just want us to notice that, that Paul and Silas went along with this. There is no, there is no, there is nothing it's not like they wanted the persecution, but they, they, they were not resisting. And they perhaps remembered the words of the Lord Jesus, John 15, 12, uh, 20, when he says, the word, uh, remember the word I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If, if they have kept my saying, they will also keep yours. He says in Luke to them, hey, just remember at some point at the end of time, they're going to be uh, delivering you up to the councils and they're going to be putting you in prison. Jesus warned them that this was happening. This was not out of the ordinary for Paul and Silas and the rest of those that were following the Lord Jesus Christ. And just notice, they weren't, they weren't making a big hoopla about, about the fact that this, this was... 
not lawful for them to do to Roman citizens as they had done without a public hearing. Okay? So I, I, again, this is timely. We just need to remember that when persecution comes, there's going to be times it goes flagrantly against the law of the land. Do we understand that? Satan doesn't play fair. Satan doesn't keep laws. Right? He doesn't play that way. So here, here it's going on. And uh, just to add to, uh, add, add to a little bit of this, and perhaps this is a sobering message and, and, and kind of a wake-up call, even within the last, even within the last uh, month or so here, uh, this administration's IRS, we remember IRS going after people, but this administration's IRS sent out a letter to, uh, to a Christian organization that they rejected uh, for, for being exempt as, a, uh, as a, a nonprofit organization. And here's what the letter said. You educate believers on national issues that are central to their belief in the Bible as the inerrant word of God. You educate Christians in areas where they can be instrumental as in the areas of sanctity of life, the definition of marriage, biblical justice, law versus lawlessness, freedom of speech, religious liberty, government and business ethics, human trafficking, fiscal responsibility in government, budgeting, defense, borders and immigration, U.S. and Israel relations. The Bible teachings are typically affiliated with and they say the Republican Party and candidate, and I'm not, uh, I'm not stumping for something there. I'm just, I'm just saying this is their letter. This is the IRS. This disqualifies you from exemption. Now, that organization, through the, the work of the uh, ACLJ, the, uh, the American uh, Center for uh, Law and Justice, did actually get their exemption. But I'm telling you, that is the heart. You know where that letter came out of? Not Washington, Cincinnati. Okay, I'm just saying, let's wake up, church. The storm clouds are out there, but if you look at it from Christ's standpoint, great, day, and great days for the church are coming. Because we are about to see one of the greatest harvests that we've ever seen in America. And I think we see that patterned out here in, in Philippi. So let's, let's keep on. So as we think about this, they're facing the persecution, but what did they do in the middle of this persecution? They furthered the Lord Jesus Christ. How did they do that? By praising God, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. Wait a minute. They weren't saying, call my lawyer? I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just, I, I'm just saying that wasn't the focus. They, they praised God. And here's the exact idea of this. They prayed, and as they prayed, they burst out into singing praises to God. Wow. While they were engaging and pouring out their hearts to God, their song broke forth. And it was a loud melody that they sang with joy so that the, the prisoners heard them. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and let thine honor all the day long. That's what was going on in this prison cell, the inner prison cell, the inner prison cell, and they're singing from there and the other prisoners are listening on. What a testimony for God. God sends an earthquake. Do you know that God is moved by and he moves through our praise? I'm convicted about that because far too often when I look about what's going on in our world, I don't praise God. And sometimes the lost hear me not praising God like I ought to. And sometimes the lost hear you not praising God like you ought to. But it was through this praise that God moved in a very powerful way. Severe enough, the foundations were moved, the shackles fell off, the doors came off their hinges. What power of God was displayed here? And lest you think God only does that in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, if we would 
but submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God, I believe we would begin seeing the great power of God moving again. You can mark it down. There are going to be some stories coming out of Afghanistan in the coming days as the Taliban moves forward that God is going to show up in mighty power to deliver his saints that are calling on his name. I can't wait for those stories. There is power in praise. My heart is fixed. It's settled, oh God. My heart is fixed. I will give praise. I will sing and give praise unto God, the psalmist says. So it was their praise that opened up the door to proclaim Christ because after that, the Roman jailer, he's thinking, I'm dying now. The gates, are, the, the, the gates are open. The prisoners are gone. No prisoner in their right mind would stay inside of a prison cell. But they did. I wonder if Paul and Silas had anything to do with that. I don't know. But we find here that they were able to proclaim Christ as Paul shows real love for the jailer. Think about that. The very man who put him in the inner prison was responsible for taking care of him, for how much food he got or didn't get, for how he was put in the stocks, for all of that. That very man was about ready to commit suicide. Let him! That's what he deserves. They've mistreated us. Let him! No. Sir, do yourself no harm. There's a real, real divide here because God does use nations to judge nations and so forth. And we see God annihilating whole groups of people, the Amalekites by Saul. We see Israel coming into the promised land, getting rid of uh, all the Canaanites because they were sinful against God. So God, God orders some of that. But I'll tell you, in our hearts, our heart towards the world ought to be one of love. I want to, I want to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ, even if they've hurt me even if they've hurt me. There's some people in your life that have hurt you so severely, and maybe you think, well, that's what they deserve. They lost their job. That's what they deserve. They got sick. No, that's not the heart of Christ. It's not the heart of Christ. Paul shows the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's being energized by the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering. He's being energized by the Holy Spirit. So when this man's about ready to commit suicide in order to avoid a shameful Roman execution that would be very much dishonorably discharged, Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. This jailer is drawn to Christ by this act of love on Paul's part. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He runs into their Sell, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I cannot help but see here this morning that the jailer was drawn to Jesus Christ not only by the love of Paul, but also by the song of Paul. The Bible says to us in Psalm 40, verse number three, that God, after taking us up out of a miry pit, has put in our heart a new song He's put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Friends, don't let Satan steal your song. Have you stopped singing this week? What has you mute on praising God? That very praise is what could bring your neighbor, could bring a family member, could bring someone you know at work, 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you praising in the midst of your suffering? Because I still have a good God. And so it was their praise that caused this jailer to spring in. I, I get the idea that he kind of leapt in and he fell down before them. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? How did he know to ask that question? Well, you've probably been hearing the preaching around town. Probably heard it in their song. Just another plug, and I, and I, I won't linger here long, but their song was probably understandable. If you have to listen to a song a few times before you find out if it's a Christian song, it's probably not a song you ought to be listening to. So the gospel was in their song. You smile, but it's real. Satan's using music in our country. Not in a good way. So he knows to ask this question, what must I do to be saved? What was their answer? Well, let me, uh, let me set up a class here. and uh, let, Actually, let me call the preacher. No, 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 no. It was, they were the preachers. Uh, it was, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let's say that together. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to say it again. And I want you to say it with some conviction, like you believe that that is actually the, the key to turning someone from hell to heaven. All right? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Friends, that's our message. Now, this isn't one, two, three, pray with me. Believe is depend upon. Recognize you're a sinner. They're, they're in, in believing in Jesus, it's also a turning from your own self-righteousness, your own religion. There is a, a turning there. So there's a lot wrapped up in this believing. It's a, it's a real dependence. And, and it happened. This, this man receives Jesus Christ. So much that his life is immediately changed. His, his demeanor is changed towards the messengers of the gospel. He takes them out and he, he washes their stripes. He immediately wants to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, how did he hear about that? Well, maybe he heard about Lydia in town, this, this influential businesswoman that got baptized down at the river. And so this was around, so he realized identifying with Christ. And so he did that. He receives Christ. He identifies through baptism and it was their praise to God and their love for others that opened up the door for the Jesus Christ to be furthered right inside of that prison. And friends, it's going to be no different for you this week. Your praise for God, your love for others. This is the practical, this is the practical, this is the practical elements of our lives. Every one of us can praise God for something. Well, I don't know, not, not today. No, every one of us can praise God for something. You breathing today? Did you eat today? You come from a house in a car. You didn't walk here. Someone either picked you up. Maybe you did. You have a lot, a lot, a lot of blessings. Oh, so many blessings that we have. Blessings we don't deserve. We can praise God for something. Beyond the tangible friends, we can praise God for freedom in Christ. I'm not going to hell. That ought to light up our faces. I'm not going to hell. Hell doesn't stop. I was down with Brother Larry, uh, Larry this week, and I brought down some gospel tracts, and I left him a, a, a Bible down there because they didn't have a, a, a Gideon Bible in Christ's hospital. And so I left it. Interesting. Just kind of actually just gets me right now. So I left him a Bible, and, I, and I, I said, Brother Larry, if you need to pass this on, it was my soul winning New Testament, and I said, if you need to pass this on, he says, oh, I'm going to be giving it to the next person that, that gets saved. And so he's down there, and, uh, and, and 
uh, he was talking, we got to talking about hell, and you know, he, he begins to talk about how, how you can never get out of hell. I talked to a, a guy from Mexico this week in, in Home Depot, and I was giving the gospel to him, and we were talking, he, he looks at the wood price and he goes, kind of hard to make money these days. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. We started talking, and, and uh, right there in the aisle, and he's, you know, he's kind of active, and he's just, he's a contractor trying to, uh, to make some money. He's really, you know, just frustrated by all this, and, and we were talking about some of the craziness, and I said, well, there is one perfect city. He goes, where? I said, it's heaven. I said, if you could, I talked to him, do you, do you know when, when you die, in course of conversation, I asked him, do you, where will you spend eternity? He goes, I want to go up there. It's going to be boring up there. It was the first time I've ever heard someone say of heaven, it'd be boring. You know what he told me? I want to be here for eternity. And as I was thinking on that over the past couple of days, that is exactly the problem of the rich young ruler. That's some of the problem with us as Christians. We want to be here for all of eternity. We have heaven. We look for a greater country. We're looking for someone somewhere where, whose builder and maker is God, right? And so as I was thinking about that, it's pretty amazing that you can share the gospel with, with somebody and, uh, and them not, not want what God is offering, forgiveness of sin and, and the offer of that. Oh, this, this Philippian jailer, everything's changing in his life. In fact, his whole family is. Did you notice when they brought him over to his house for, uh, for food, there was immediately fellowship between these believers, right? It's what the early church did. There was immediately fellowship food. People ask why churches like food. Well, I mean, it's just kind of a part of being believers in the body of Christ. You eat together. So they're eating together and rejoiced, verse number 34, and believing with all of his house. So they're all gathering together, and it was the praise to God and the love of the love towards others that brought this open door to Paul. Let's seek that this week. Oh, that God would help us to praise him with a song. Oh, that God would, would help us to love others as we come along and see them in shackles of sin and so on. Uh, he, he was the real one that was shackled, not Paul and Silas. He was the one in shackles of sin, but Jesus freed him that night. But I want you to notice, after we're gonna, we're, we already kind of commented on the fact that this was unlawful, and it's explained here, there was a little bit, this is, this is something that's interesting to me. Paul did, as the magistrate said, hey, let's scoot these guys out of town. Paul did say, hold up now. I, I do wonder at this, this part of scripture. Hold up now. You've done all this. We're Roman citizens. And this was against the law. So uh, you know, the Holy Spirit has to be the one that guides us in how to use the law. And uh, I, I see Paul saying, let the magistrates come tell us themselves. And I don't know what Paul was, if he was angling for an opportunity to share the gospel with them, because they're going to be pretty open to him at this point in the sense of, uh, you know, we just really did you some wrong. Um, egg on their face, uh, so to speak. But, but Paul uses the law there. I, I just want to comment on that. And we must be guided by the Holy Spirit as we do use the law that we have even in our, uh, in our own country. But his spirit, his whole attitude was not, you know, Bless God, I'm going to show you a thing or two. I'm going to sue you for all your worth. No, it wasn't like that at all. Uh, send them over, and they came over and beseeched them. And then notice, Paul goes forward in the liberty of the Spirit in verse number 40. 
and look at it with me. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia, headquarters for, uh, for the work of God there in, in, uh, in uh, Philippi. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them. And all I want to just point out here is Paul, before he leaves town, on to the next step, all that they do is they comfort the brethren. They comfort the brethren. So imagine they're a little shook up. The guys that just preached to us this message uh, got beat, put in prison, and all this happened. They're probably a little bit shook up. Wouldn't you be shook up? Just, just a tiny bit, perhaps? You came in uh, tomorrow and you found pastors put in prison uh, for knocking on a door and sharing, uh, sharing Jesus Christ. You might be a little bit shook up. So that's what's going on. So he comes back to these brethren. They're gathered around there at Lydia's house and he comforts them. He exhorts them. He encourages them. He encourages them in a path of action. Don't give up. Don't give up. Do you know that this is the verb form of who the Holy Spirit is? What's the Holy Spirit? And I will send unto you another. <laughs> you know what Paul was doing? He was partnering with the Holy Spirit like you and I are supposed to do everywhere we go. He was bringing the comfort of the Holy Spirit to them. You know, I have a feeling that some of the words that he brought to them were what First Peter says, Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as some, uh, some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers, partners, of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you shall, uh, may be glad with exceeding joy. When you stand before Christ, you can be glad that you were able to suffer for his sake. If ye then be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. And so they, they evil, speak evil of Jesus Christ, but on, on your part, God is glorified through your life as you have suffered with Jesus Christ. You can imagine Paul saying, listen, listen, brothers, let's stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ. I imagine if Paul was here this morning, he'd say, hey, whatever comes in America, let's stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever the Lord lands you in the world, if the Lord today should put his finger on your heart and send you to another country of the world, wherever God lands you, he'll be with you, he'll be enough, He'll be with you through the persecution. Whatever job you're in, he'll be with you. He'll be with you through the persecution. Don't think it's strange that when you live uh, and follow Jesus Christ faithfully that you're going to suffer persecution. You see, here's what I want us to catch. Persecution does not stop or slow the building of the church. It propels it. And it's always been that way. Just this week, I was reading uh, the testimony of another pastor here in America who is asking people to pray for a friend of his, a member in his church. He goes, several years ago, I met a young immigrant from Afghanistan who had been raised in the Islamic religion and knew nothing of the true Jesus. Miraculously, I watched him as he repented of his sin and received Jesus Christ as his Savior and was subsequently baptized and discipled at our church. He always has had a burden for his large family who remains unconverted, living in Kabul. This week, this week, this man told me that he is feeling led of God to return to his homeland with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to spread the word of God among his friends and family. Would you please pray for this disciple of Jesus, this missionary of good news? Pray for his protection, opportunity, and for souls to be saved. That's 
That's the heart that we need to have about what we're facing. That's the heart where we're willing to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, no matter what comes. And we're, we haven't faced that. We've not resisted unto blood. But friends, as it comes, are you, are you ready? Are you fortified now? Are you walking with the Lord now? Are you in love with Jesus so much that no one, no one can push you away from him? Are you listening and submitted to the Holy Spirit? Are you giving up your convenience right now? Are you setting aside all the excuses the world gives to you and saying, I'm following Jesus no matter what. I'll make much of his body. I'll make much of following after him. I'll make much of his word. I'll give my heart to it. Are you right now? preparing yourself. Don't wait till the battle comes. Don't wait until the, the hour comes. Right now, be ready. I can guarantee you this young man who's going back to his homeland, uh, he's, he's had to do some preparing ahead of time, and God is now touching his heart. Go, and he's saying, no matter what it costs me, no, uh, very likely certain death. No matter what it costs me, I need to go back. I want you to turn as we close this to Matthew chapter number 16, Verse number 18, and I want to remind us, Jesus has been telling us this whole time, it's we in America that haven't, haven't understood it. Matthew 16 and verse number 18, our theme passage for the year. Matthew 16, after Peter says, you are Jesus, the son of the living God, after he confesses the deity of Jesus Christ, which is a very hated doctrine. It's hated, despised. He is God. He's always been God. He did not become God. He's always been God. He was there at creation. He was a part of that. The whole creative process, he was there. And he declares that, Peter declares that. God had shown him that uh, in verse number 17. Jesus says this, and I, verse 18, and I, I say also unto thee, Peter, that thou art Peter, that's who you are. You're a little rock. You're a pebble. But upon this rock, upon this doctrine that you have just proclaimed, that, that Jesus Christ is God, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he goes on to talk about the authority that's given to us as, as, that, as, this, as this is given, as we're stewards of what God is doing. We're part of what God is doing. But then I want you to notice, after Jesus said that, this is his promise. This is not my promise. This isn't a motivational statement. Upon this rock, upon Jesus Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Friends, you know why we didn't put even the verse reference there and just put down Jesus? This is a quote from Jesus Christ. And he's doing that in Afghanistan. He's doing that in Iran, China, and he's doing it in America, and he's going to flourish, propel the church even through persecution here in America. But this is what he's doing. This is what's a big deal to Jesus. This is what is a big deal to Jesus. This is why it should be a big deal to us. Dads, this is why it ought to be a big deal to you and your families. And so he's the one that's promising this. But notice what Jesus says. Immediately, he brings his disciples along in this, in this process. He goes on, and he says in verse number 21, from this time forth, Jesus began to say unto his disciples, show unto them how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. So what does Jesus immediately do? The process by which I build my church is through my death 
And they don't realize that on the third day, I'm rising again. And everything they thought they had won, they actually lost. And then Peter goes, as the American among them, Be it far from you, Jesus. We want our comfort. We want our convenience. We want to order our lives around our careers. We want to do all these things. Don't, don't talk of death. Don't talk of suffering. Oh, he was a precursor to exactly what many American believers think about, about this process. And you know what Jesus says? Get thee behind me, Satan. This is satanic. This is satanic talk to try to remove suffering and death from the process of Christ building his church. We cannot see what God wants to do in this place at the Grace Baptist Church accepting through suffering. And it's going to cost you something right now for you to really make this body and the gospel in this city and in your neighborhood, in your workplace, it's going to require some adjustment and some suffering in your life and some dropping of your convenience. It's going to. And so he says, get thee behind me, Satan. And then notice what he says in verse number 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. Let him literally pick up the instrument of his death and follow me. Well, I didn't sign up for that. I just wanted a free ticket to heaven. Sorry. That's not how Jesus is doing it. And to try to believe and chase after it otherwise is to follow a detour provided by Satan. Church, I'm preaching this to myself and to you. God has us at this passage at this time. I'm calling you to be really serious about what God is doing. Let's stand and bow our heads for prayer. Give time to pray and bow before the Lord. I really think we ought to do that. Lord, whatever it, whatever it costs, is your body a living sacrifice as you stand there this morning? Are you just tasting of the glories of your salvation, not willing to give up something for Jesus Christ? Jesus himself said in Philippians, the very letter to this church that was going to be planted there in that city, he says, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. What's Jesus saying? I didn't just give you a free ride to heaven. I'm asking you to come alongside with me and identify with me and even suffer for my sake. What have you given up for Jesus Christ? I believe the Lord is calling us to be very serious about what he's doing in this world. Stop playing around about Jesus Christ. Stop playing around about his, his church. Stop playing around with, with lip service. Oh, how I love Jesus. Do you? Father, I commit to you this, this invitation time where I believe you want our, your people to bow before you and do some business, some soul searching. Lord, I'm asking you as, as the Holy Spirit to, to direct because there's so many different ways this can hit, our, hit and affect our hearts. 
So would you direct right now and would you lead each one of your believers to do your will this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. I look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.